And welcome to the Harris Happening. I'm Bob Harris on the Mighty 790 KFGO. This is kind of a nighttime live during the daytime on Saturday afternoons. And a lot of times uh, when folks don't get a chance to listen to our uh, The Vet Is In program at night, uh, they say, boy, I'm glad you've got the podcast up, but I'd really like to hear during the day sometime. So we're going to do it right now. Uh, we have Dr. Doreen Winning joining us. Uh, she is with the Valley Veterinary Hospital, and uh, she usually joins us once a month uh, during the evening hours. But because of all the twins and everything that's going on, we haven't had a chance to talk with her for a while. So we're going to do that uh, right now for a couple of segments. And uh, we welcome uh, Dr. Doreen Winning to the show. Hello, Doc. Hi, Bob. It's good to hear your voice again. It's been a uh, long it, time. Yeah, it has. And there's so much that's happened between now and the last time I saw you in studio. So thanks for having me on, and and uh, hopefully we'll be able to answer some questions for people. Well, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you made time for us. And, you know, there's one of the things that somebody asked already, and I think this is going to be a topic of yours, too, during this conversation, is tick season. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm hearing through the grapevine, this is a bad one this year. Yeah, it is a bad tick season this year. And I can tell you that from personal experience with my own dogs who are uh, farm dogs for part of the week and, and city dogs for the rest of the week. And something that we should talk about is making sure before your dog gets exposed to ticks to get that tick prevention on afterwards is too late because as we know there are a lot of different kinds of tick-borne diseases that can range from Lyme disease to anaplasma or lichia these are all things that we test for when we talk about blood parasite screenings in dogs but these are all diseases that are transmitted by ticks and if you wait to get your tick prevention on certainly our animals our dogs can be susceptible to tick-borne diseases. So if you're thinking now, if you haven't been out to the lake because of COVID concerns and you're thinking about getting out there now, get your tick prevention on before your dog gets out there and in the grass. By by, by the way, I heard too that some of these uh, tick-related ailments you you were talking about, they can last a lot longer than uh, what people may seem after they recover from the bite, right? I mean, some of these could be almost lifelong uh, uh, happenings for the pet, right? Well, we do know that thankfully in dogs, things like let's take Lyme disease, for example. Lyme disease does not tend to um, be symptomatic in dogs as much as it does in people. And so a lot of dogs, when they come into the clinic and we're testing them with that blood parasite test, a lot of dogs who are not symptomatic from Lyme disease can come up positive. And yes, they can be positive for years uh, on our in-clinic test. And so it, it behooves us as pet owners to make sure that we have that tick prevention on. And some people think, oh, my dog is just in the grass in the you know, yard around the, the cabin, the trimmed grass. It doesn't go wandering. Well, ticks can happen. And I, even in short grass, it's the organic debris that's down near the ground that, you know, whether it be bark, you know, around the tree or whatever, uh, that ticks like to be in, uh, especially in the cooler months. And then in the summer, they can, you know, definitely be more populated in the, in the grasses. So, 
that's one thing is tick prevention. Uh, the other thing, you know, we should probably talk about a little bit is Lyme vaccine. And there's a lot of people out there wondering, should I vaccinate my dog for Lyme disease or shouldn't I? And what I can say to you in regard to that question is, first and foremost, we practice good tick prevention, right? Because we want to prevent the tick from latching onto the dog in the first place. And um, the longer they latch on, the more likelihood they have of transmitting the, para, the Lyme disease uh, bacteria. So prevention is key. Number one, first and foremost, getting that tick prevention on. Secondly, is the second layer of prevention is going to be that Lyme vaccination. And honestly, we're treating that at Valley Vet like it's a core um, type vaccine, just because we see so many Lyme positive dogs that it, it just has gotten to be the case where most dogs now um, are being vaccinated for Lyme disease as well. Well, one so of the tiered protection. One of the questions that uh, popped up here when we asked for questions for you today, and uh, this kind of relates to it, a uh, person here says that they had a lab who has passed away. They had to put him down, uh, and they don't feel as if a new dog is right for them right now, but they have extra heartworm and also flea protection, but they don't know exactly what to do with it. Apparently, they've uh, spent quite a bit of money on it, and uh, they don't want to waste it, but apparently if they've opened it up, you know, you can't give it back to the vet, that type of thing. Right. In those circumstances, I would call your local shelter and see if they would be able to take a donation. Most of them will, and it's much appreciated. So heartworm flea tick, that would be my recommendation. And a lot of people, too, um, might be in need, neighbors and friends, that, you know, that stuff is expensive. And so I agree, if you can repurpose that in a positive direction, that's beneficial to both you and to the receiving party. Do you have to keep track, though, as far as the size of the dog? I mean, isn't there a certain potencies for larger dogs than smaller dogs? There is, and they all go in weight ranges, and the different brands have different weight ranges. And so it might be 25 to 50 pounds for one um, type of prevention, and it might be um, something different for another. So pay attention to that. Obviously, we're not going to want to put uh, a 25 to 50 pound dose of flea and tick prevention on an eight pound chihuahua. So that's something that, yes, absolutely, we need to pay attention for. And um, usually the label, they're labeled adequately. Sometimes if you take them out of the package, it might be a little bit harder to see that. So just make sure that you look on the back of the individual dose as well to make sure that's the appropriate dose range for your pet. By the way, the, sometimes, and, I'm sorry, go ahead. And cats too. I mean, we, we talk a lot about dogs. Cats are not predisposed to getting Lyme disease, but really cats that go outdoors, set foot in the backyard at all, should have a flea and tick prevention on them. And Probably some of the more commonly recognized ones would be Revolution is a very common one that also has an intestinal dewormer for cats, um, as well as the flea and heartworm prevention. And also Brevecto is another one we use commonly. So don't forget the kitty cats out there that, you know, do step foot in the backyard as well. 
I remember the dog that I used to have many years ago. Uh, we would open up that little biscuit-type deal through the foil, you know, for his heartworm. He loved it. Yeah. He sat there and wagged his tail. He couldn't wait to get one once a month. <laughs> and it's so funny because my dogs are the same. My dogs love their heartworm prevention, and I have some clients who just really struggle with that. In, in those cases, we might go to a topical prevention that you just put on the back of the neck on the skin instead of using the, the chew tabs or the flavor tabs. Dr. Doreen Winning, our special guest from the Valley Veterinary, Hosp- Valley Veterinary Hospital here on uh, KFGO's Harris Happening. I'm going to ask you one quick question, and then we're going to get to uh, laser surgery for spayed and neutered, okay? Uh, this person wants to know, uh, recommend a shampoo for bathing their dog and their cat. They want to know if they can use the same type of shampoo. You have to, in most circumstances, yes. The answer is yes. But you have to be careful if you're using flea and tick product, you know, ingredients that are contained within those shampoos because what works for a dog might be toxic for a cat. So be very careful about flea tick shampoos. In general, a very mild oatmeal-based shampoo, let's say, is um, perfectly fine to use on both cats and dogs, but you're going to want to also look at the label. If there's any question whatsoever, then I would talk to my vet. Get get a list of the active ingredients, you know, photocopy it, whatever you need to do, bring it to your vet and ask if this is okay to use on your cat. Those are important guidelines to remember for cats. And, and the same thing goes with the flea and tick preventions. Do not use flea and tick preventions for dogs on cats because it can be certain ones can be very toxic to them. Mm-hmm. Laser surgery for spayed and neutering. We'll talk about that when we come back. Dr. Doreen Winning from the Valley Veterinary Hospital on uh, the Harris Happening here on the Mighty 790 KFGO. We're back on the Harris Happening. Dr. Doreen Winning from the Valley Veterinary Hospital is with us, and we are talking about your pets. And by the way, get a piece of paper and a a pencil handy because we'll be giving you her uh, website address and phone number here in a little bit as well. Uh, Dr. Winning, as long as we were talking about uh, bathing, by the way, uh, another good question popped up into my head anyway. Uh, How often do you bathe an animal? You know, it depends on any skin conditions that might be present. For example, this is a time of year where we start seeing more allergies, especially in dogs that are running around outside. And so for certain dogs, I'll recommend bathing them up to twice a week if they have specific medicated shampoo that they need. If we're talking about just in general, how often should I bathe my dog? I would say probably every six weeks is more than adequate. And I know sometimes with my dogs, even, you know, in the winter months when the, you know, air is a little bit drier, I probably wait even longer than six weeks. It can be um, an extra month tacked on there. So um, two to three months sometimes in the winter. We just don't want to dry out that skin too much. This may be a silly question, but uh, do you bathe them singly, or do you can you throw them all in the tub at once? Because you've got dachshunds, well, you can fit them all in there if you needed to. Yeah, so I'll have to post a picture of them in the bathtub together on my Facebook page. But <laughs> what what I usually do, I, I kind of have it down to a very regimented schedule with the bathing time. They all know 
Doobie goes in first, and he has a medicated shampoo, so he gets lathered up first and sits in the warm bath water, and then Dahlia goes in, and she gets sudsed up and rinsed off, and then I'll rinse Doobie, and then Ryder will go in last since he's the youngest and and um, doesn't have any special needs. So, yes, I, bath time is a challenge, especially for those of us that have multiple pets. And again, that's where a professional groomer can come in very handy in those circumstances. And that's what they're good at. They know what they're doing. Um, but at my house, yes, bath time gets to be <laughs> pretty interesting. There's a lot of cleanup afterwards. Let's put it that way. Wow. And it's not of the dogs. It's <laughs> messy. It's a messy circumstance. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about laser surgery for spayed or neutering. I guess I, it's been a long time since I've had an animal. I guess I didn't realize that was something you could do nowadays. We get a lot of questions on what is laser surgery and should my pet have laser surgery? And what I can tell you is laser surgery is instead of using a sharp scalpel blade, we're using a CO2 laser that essentially is searing an incision into the skin. And so what it's doing is it's sealing off blood vessels at the same time so that there's much less bleeding associated with the incisions. And it also tends to seal off nerve endings as well so that there tends to be less pain associated with those incisions. So those are great things and some great advantages to it. Um, the downside for the surgeon is that the incision can take a little bit longer to make. And so in some of those circumstances, if, you know, anesthesia is, if we're wanting to cut back on the anesthesia uh, time duration of the procedure, we might not select uh, laser surgery in those cases. Other cases where I wouldn't necessary, necessarily select laser surgery would be um, for those pets that are just crazy, crazy active after surgery. And because the incisions associated with the CO2 laser can take just a little bit more time to heal. And so that's a burden for some owners trying to keep their animals quiet. And I'm talking about really active, active dogs. And um, in those circumstances, yeah, we might select, you know, scalpel surgery, the traditional scalpel surgery in those circumstances. But CO2 laser is really a nice tool um, to be able to use in some of these spays and neuters that, um, you know, the average spay and neuter that's going to heal well, heal quickly, and um, can move on to uh, brighter days after they're spayed or neutered. I was going to ask, was uh, so that cut down the time then as far as wearing that uh, cone around the neck? It potentially can add a little bit because those incisions just take a little bit longer to heal. And, you know, there are days when, you know, I'm scheduled for a laser surgery on a certain pet. And if I see that they're crazy active in the hospital, in the clinic before surgery on my pre-anesthetic physical that morning, I might call the owner and just say, you know what, this is, this might be a challenge for you post-op. 
Um, but I don't want to dwell on that too much because even, you know, the average puppy and kitten, they're going to be more active than, you know, the 12 year old adult. And so we do laser all the time for spays and neuters. And it's a very, very good tool to use. It cuts down on pain. It decreases the bleeding. And um, the, the patients seem to be more comfortable afterwards. It's just in that very few select cases where we've got just hyperactive pets that sometimes I'll say, mm, maybe not this one. Dr. Doreen Winding, our special guest from uh, the Valley Veterinary Hospital. The vet is in on a Saturday afternoon with the Harris Happening here on KFGO. By the way, I had a dog once. It was, uh, he was a Border Collie cross, and he had the surgery done to take care of his you-know-what. And he put a, 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 the, put a cone around his neck, and he, they said, you, you can rent this or something, and you can give the cone back. So I said, okay, fine, that's fine. So... The dog somehow ate it. He got a hold of it and chewed it up. I couldn't believe it. Does that ever happen? Yeah. You know, that can happen from time to time that, yes, if you have a really good Houdini-type dog, yes, they can. And sometimes they'll actually, if the cone's not tight enough around their neck, they can get their lower jaw hooked underneath there, and that can be very uncomfortable for them, especially if owners aren't home with them to catch that. I was out the rental money for crying out loud. What was he thinking? (laughs) I don't even know if clinics do that anymore, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I've had many a patient too. I mean, that's another reason why we use paper collars in the clinic, you know, for identification, because I've had some patients that I can remember one in particular, it had a harness on when it came in. And let me tell you, that harness wasn't visible when it left the clinic. And <laughs> so having to talk to the owner about, yeah, I'm sorry, your dog just ate its harness uh, while it was in my care is not something, it's not a conversation that I want to have with a pet owner. So we tend generally will take off the harnesses and collars when they come in for that reason, because they like to sometimes eat them while they're there. <laughs> we have we have two more questions, which is about just as much, uh, as much time as we have left here for our segment. And I'm going to ask them to you here real quick. A uh, person wants to know, so we have a, a cocker spaniel who seems extremely tired when going out for walks but is very lively in the house. She can drink and eat as usual. I, I imagine that means the right amount and, you know, drinks water. Just seems to be tired outside. I think there's a Cocker Spaniel that's pulling the wool over somebody's eyes, but I, I'll, let you, I'll let you answer that. It might be a pet that doesn't want to go out and get exercise. So something that would be of interest in this case, is this pet overweight? You know, is it hard for that pet to move? Um, how old is that pet? Is it hard to move because there's osteoarthritis pain? Um, or is there a medical health condition going on where that pet doesn't feel like it can breathe well when it's out moving around outside? So these are things that I would have a good physical exam done on that particular dog and get your vet's opinion. If the vet thinks that, oh, yep, this is good, it looks completely healthy, and in that circumstance, I would agree with you, Bob, that, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's somebody controlling that household, and it isn't the human in that case. Last question for Dr. Doreen Winning. Who is the proper person to see to get health insurance for my dog? 
You know, health insurance for pets is one of those areas that you have to rely a lot on personal research. And I would go online as far as um, researching different companies and the policies they offer, because a lot of companies will offer different tiers of plans that um, you have to sort through and make sure you understand what you're getting and which of those plans is right for your pet. For example, somebody may want just a catastrophic plan that doesn't cover vaccines or routine preventative health care but is more for if your dog runs out and gets hit by a car, you can cover those costs associated with that. So these are things that before you go into it, you need to think about what is your goal for the policy and then go into it doing your research. And I would start out by just going online. There's lots of different pet pet insurance companies. Make sure they're licensed in the state of North Dakota or if you're from Minnesota, they're licensed in the state of Minnesota. Dr. Doreen Winning, thank you so much for joining us tonight, or I should say today here on KFGO. I get my days and nights mixed up all the time, you know that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was uh, wanted to let the folks know that you are at Valley Veterinary Hospital is located where? 3210 Main Avenue in Fargo. Our phone number is 232-3391, and we're online at valleyveterinary.net. And also on Facebook. Make sure you check that out as well. And hopefully... When all this uh, COVID-19 stuff is all over with, we can have you back in studio live one night during Nighttime Live here on KFGO. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. See you then, Bob. Thank you now.